Funding for New Mexico in Focus provided by the McCune Charitable Foundation and viewers like you. This week on New Mexico in Focus, the Line Opinion Panel hashes out the potential Trump impeachment implications for New Mexico's congressional delegation. Plus, we are at the bottom of a lot of very bad lists in New Mexico. It's my home, I love it, and only I can say those things, right? If somebody else said them, I'd be like, hey, hold on, New Mexico's the greatest place in the world. We're one-on-one -on -one with mixed martial arts coach Greg Jackson about the sports growth in New Mexico and his political future. New Mexico in Focus starts now. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm your host, Gene Grant. Now, could a renowned MMA coach run for public office? Greg Jackson asks, why not? And talks about the popularity of mixed martial arts in New Mexico. The Line Opinion Panel sorts through the week's headlines, including security changes to the year's biggest event, the Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta. We also look at New Mexico's behavioral health crisis. A new report from the federal government shows providers are far outnumbered by patients, especially in rural parts of the state. We begin, though, with the impeachment inquiry into President Trump. Here's the line. Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives say they've seen enough. They started an official impeachment inquiry of President Donald Trump after he admitted to asking the president of Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden. That after the president himself held up military aid approved by Congress to help Ukraine fortify its border with Russia. As we discuss this, however, for your reference as a viewer, it's Thursday morning as we sit here and the DNI is just finishing his testimony. Here's our opinion panel this week. We caught line regular and attorney Laura Sanchez Revey on a week she's not traveling. Another one of our line regulars, public health consultant Michael Bird is with us. From Connection Now and KK70, KKOB 770 Radio, Jeffrey Candelaria returns. And owner of Vox Optima Public Relations, Merritt Allen is back with us as well. And Merritt, we're starting with you. No surprise, you might see this through a public relations lens because there's an election next year. Your summary of what you're seeing so far through that lens, what's your sense of it? Well, absolutely. And I, I think there, there are only a few things that can happen. And just looking at the realities right now in right. Congress uh, and Washington, I think we can make some, some pretty uh, educated guesses. Mm -hmm. So all this is is an inquiry. Right. So this is not drafting articles, mm -hmm. but I don't think Speaker Pelosi's been so cautious. I don't think she would let this go forward if she didn't think she had the votes to go forward with articles of impeachment. Mm -hmm. So I think we should expect through the fall and winter that's going to happen. Gotcha. However, um, the Senate still maintains a narrow majority. The mm -hmm. Senate, um, the moderates have been weeded out. They've retired or passed away. Right. Uh, and so and also in general, historically, the Senate has not moved to impeach. That's mm -hmm. uh, Andrew Johnson. Uh, Richard Nixon resigned because he didn't have the votes, and Bill Clinton, the Senate, uh, uh, would not impeach. Mm -hmm. So my guess would be it's going to be a really ugly fall and winter. We're going to be bombarded with allegations and rage and anger from both sides. Twitter's going to blow up, mm -hmm. and probably nothing's going to happen. Interesting at the end of it all, right? Yeah, you never know. Laura Sanchez Reve, let's talk about our, let's bring this home a little bit. Uh, we've got on the record Ben Ray Lujan is for this inquiry. Uh, Deb Holland is for this inquiry. Sochil Torres Small is sort of, is still on the fence. Is, is she? How long can she stay there without tipping one way or the other? 
Um, I think she's she's in a difficult position. It's yeah. a it's a difficult um, seat that she holds. Mm -hmm. It's a challenge for um, for anybody to have a knee jerk reaction in any way as a right. Democrat from that right. district. And I think she has to be um, careful to listen to her constituency. If she's listening to her constituency and they are opposed to this, mm -hmm. and prefer that she do something different or that she be focused on other issues, I think right. she has to reflect that. Right. So in terms of how long can she hang on, I, I, I don't know. I think that's a decision that she'll have to sure. make with her Depending staff. on what information comes out any given day, that kind of a thing. And I hope so. that every that every member of Congress is listening to their district. It doesn't right. surprise me that Ben Ray Lujan and, and Deb Holland are taking the position they're taking. Mm -hmm. I think the senators have to do what they what they have to do. and. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's going to come down to, for them, um, what their district says. Right. Good point there. Jeffrey, your sense of this in the overall, I want to uh, hone in on something after your, your answer here, but your overall sense of this, is this something that you feel in your gut from what you've seen so far is worthy of all we've gone to at, to this point, or should we have just stopped a while ago and said, hey, look. Well, from 10,000 feet, I don't think anything that we've uncovered thus far, and again, the there are so many balls in the air, so many things are evolving or right. de-evolving, depending right. on your perspective. Mm -hmm. But what disturbs me, just as a, an American citizen, is on Tuesday, keep in mind in terms of timeline, on mm -hmm. Tuesday, uh, a number of the progressive liberals who hold and command a great deal of influence hate Trump so much, they had already leaped to a conclusion mm -hmm. that he had committed a crime, that had risen to a, a standard of high crimes and misdemeanors, mm -hmm. which is what the uh, impeachment standard is, on Tuesday night before they had read any of the material, mm -hmm. whether it would be the whistleblower material or the right. transcript right. Uh, material. The actual I, transcript, I find not the rough version. Disturbing. Right. And I think the formula that the progressives have used to remove Trump from office is pretty simple. It's an apocryphal, spurious formula. Accuse and the accusation becomes the crime. Everything in between, we will circumvent, whether it's Tuesday it was extortion, the other day it was, well, the material was released, it was probably altered or doctored, or today, Thursday, as we're taping, now it's cover-up. So accuse, make it a crime, get him out of office at any cost. But let me ask you a question. Who's making the accusation? Because the accusation came from inside the intelligence Mostly Schiff, community, not from... Schiff leading... Hang, 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 hang. The accusation comes from the intelligence community, not from Democrats and not from any congressional committee. Right. They're just reacting to what's happened, yeah, you, flowed through the intelligence But from 10,000 feet, the mm -hmm. formula is find something of a transgression that Trump may have committed, mm -hmm. uh, call it a crime, okay. and then we'll figure out the rest later. At least that's my perspective. Okay. The first thing that they thought would stick. Exactly. Michael, your sense of it in the overall at well, this point? Uh -huh. There are two things, I guess, or three things I would say. One is there's the legal process, mm -hmm. and that'll play out. Mm -hmm. And then there's the political process. I guess the third thing for me, I just got back from, from uh, D.C. and had a run on the mall uh, across the mall, past uh, to the Lincoln Monument, uh, mm. Washington Monument, and Vietnam, and um, the World War II Monument. And um, couldn't help but <clears throat> really reflect upon um, the reality that, that many people in this country have sacrificed mm -hmm. their lives mm -hmm. um, over the, history, the course of history because they believed in certain ethical and moral principles and um, and uh, I think we're, we're we're living a time where I wonder how moral a country we are, and how principled our leaders are, and um, how willing they are 
to um, step up, stand out, and, and, and do the right thing mm -hmm. in the best interest of this nation. I guess the other thing I would say is br bringing a, a, my native and perspective on this and the, hist and the history the native people had in this country, have had in this country with this, this nation mm -hmm. is that I, I can't help but reflect on something that Indian, some Indian people have hearkened 200 years ago. And what they said was, white man speaks with forked tongue. And that's not to say that all white men speak lie. Mm -hmm. But it was based on their experience with a segment of Amer the American population. And um, I think, um, for me, it kind of, it still rings true in many ways, in many places. And I think, um, I think this nation is facing a moral crisis. Um, I'm debating if I should start learning Russian or Chinese so that I'm prepared for what's coming next. But mm -hmm. we'll see. Yeah, well, there's a point there I want to ask uh, Merritt. Uh, literacy, sort of for the public, media literacy, uh, impeachment literacy, do you know, process literacy. At some point, Democrats, it seems to me, have to go out in this country and explain this situation. You can't just drop this on people and go, okay, we're going to have this impeachment thing. Would you agree with that? There's a literacy thing that has to start here No, absolutely, here because um, right now this is all personality-based. Right. It's all Trump. Yep. And you're either completely for him or you're completely against him. Um, I, I'm a, tr a Trump skeptic, rep skeptical Republican. That's how I label myself. Mm -hmm. And he has been able to withstand so much, really more than any other elective official that I can uh, can think of. Mm -hmm. And that's why I said in the earlier segment, I don't know that anything will happen. Mm -hmm. His base might not care. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> I think the the emotion and the ethos that Michael brought into his comments absolutely is what the Democrats uh, have to uh, bring out because, as you said on the radio yesterday, we also have to convert, um, you know, the purple districts. That's right. Um, it, or we, they have to, con uh, uh, oh, I'm going to get torn apart for that, uh, the uh, purple <laughs> districts. Um, it's a fair point, though, that it's not just about the base. The base is set, you know, in the percentages of the percentages. Right. It's almost and, suburban and, and purple I think, folk. I think That's veterans right. are a tremendous uh, force here because, you know, I just got a note from a gentleman I, uh, I work with who noted that he used to work for the DNI. Uh, um, and we take intelligence pretty seriously, right. and we tend to believe our intelligence. And with, with regard to just how we've uh, been operating with the military, with foreign affairs, apparently, allegedly holding Ukraine hostage against Russia to clean this mess up right. uh, for us, I think for veterans, this is very disturbing, and that is a huge uh, audience that's going to have to be uh, converted one way or the other. I've thought of that. That's interesting. Interesting point there. Laura, back to you on this. The idea that uh, Democrats are holding somewhat of a strong hand here. They've got close as we sit here on Thursday morning, taping us Thursday midday, uh, that 218 threshold in the House, and that's all well and good. We don't know what the actual vote will be when it gets there. but. If we actually get to that point, what's your sense of how this is going to go down? Because it's a whole different thing. As Merritt mentioned with the Clinton thing, it was all well and good leading up to it. But when you had the actual vote, a whole lot of things changed after that. Do you know what I mean? Does the country really need that at this point, an actual impeachment vote? Are we at that point in your view? Well, I think there's a lot, a lot of information that will need to be um, reviewed more carefully. All of right. this has happened so quickly in the last week. 
um, and, and every day there's sort of a new headline. Right. Um, I hope that people are taking a step back and actually reviewing the documents. Um, when they do and they actually read the letter, I think they see um, a lot more information than what's right. catching the headlines. Right. I mean, the, the, uh, the whistleblower complaint didn't just talk about Biden, That's and right. it, uh, it also talked about <clears throat> purported pressure uh, from the president to uh, on the Ukrainian president mm -hmm. um, to locate and turn over servers used by the Democratic National Committee <laughs> right. um, and, and examine the U.S. cybersecurity uh, related to that. Why are we, why is the president continuing to put pressure on anybody related to right. these allegations on Russia, about Russia and interference in the DNC? That's, that's just not, I mean, with so many very difficult things happening in this country, with so many things happening on the international stage, mm -hmm. what is the motivation here? I mean, it, it really defies logic. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I, I echo what Michael has said, and, and I think I've, I've lost faith in that position. Um, you know, I am somebody who, who has, has always had a fascination, a tremendous respect for our elected officials, and the person that's in that position now doesn't live up to the standard of the president. And I think that that's what's making so many people really disgusted with this whole process. Let me give Jeff the last word on this. We could do it in about 25 seconds. What's your sense of, does the country really need this right now as far as you're concerned, well, or is it? No. Mm -hmm. I just, I think 1974, Gerald Ford said impeachment is whatever the majority in Congress says it is. And I'll leave it at that. Mm -hmm. This does not rise, at least what we know, right. to the standard of impeachment. Mm -hmm. We'll see how it goes down, folks. This conversation is most certainly going to continue. You can always chat with us during the week on Facebook. Just search New Mexico in focus. We have to take a break right now. In a moment, MMA coach Greg Jackson. What was done in terms of, of the fact that the, the system here was dismantled was, I'd say, almost criminal. Mm -hmm. um, was criminal uh, because you turned all of these people out onto the street with no, no access to care. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, that's just, I mean, so, so we're almost like starting from scratch all over again. Greg Jackson's status among mixed martial arts fans and fighters is near legendary. He's one of the most successful coaches in the sport's history. He's also a native Burkenyo. Correspondent Russ Contreras went one-on-one -on -one with Jackson in our studio this week about the rise of MMA, what's it like to coach athletes in and out of the octagon, and running for office. Well, thank you, Greg, for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, boss. I appreciate it. So the sport of MMA, um, mixed martial arts, as we know it in the UFC and Bellator, is relatively new but it's caught on. What is it about, the, about MMA that's driving its popularity right now? Well, I think it's a very real and honest sport. I think that um, you, when you watch it, you know it's not gonna be like professional wrestling. The two competitors are getting in there and they're uh, really going to fight. They're really gonna do their art. And uh, one person is gonna win. And, and the drama of that, I think, draws people. The, the honesty of it, the, the reality of it. Like, this is an actual real uh, sport. It's a real fight. And so people get pulled into that. Um, somebody once said that if a fight breaks out in a soccer field, everybody will stop playing soccer and the crowd will just watch the fight, right? Because that's where the real drama is. So I think that uh, the, the honesty of what we do pulls people in. They really want to watch it. And what got you into MMA? Um, it's taken off here in New Mexico. Boxing has had that status not too long ago. But what is it about combat sports that resonates with New Mexicans? Well, I think New Mexico here, we have a very machismo culture. You know what I mean? Like it's a very Hispanic community. Um, 
And uh, it's also kind of a very uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps community, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you feel like as a New Mexican, you, you wanna earn what you get. And uh, I think that uh, the combat sports speak to that kind of a person, the machismo culture. Um, and then we're, we're pretty good at it here in New Mexico. So I think that that also has had a, a, a big kind of influence on it, right? Because if you are the best in the world at something, and you're from New Mexico, well, and you're a New Mexican, you might want to watch it. So I think that uh, uh, the combat sports, I think, speak to us culturally a little bit, but, but I think what really has driven it is our success in, in the combat sport itself. And what, you, what got you into MMA and, and coaching MMA? Well, I got talked into the whole thing. I actually never wanted to be a coach or anything. Um, I was, or I, I was raised in the South Valley of Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I wanted to learn how to defend myself. So um, that's where the whole impetus started. Like I, I wanted to be as uh, as effective as possible at defending myself that I could. And then my my students came to me and said, "Hey, can we do these competitions?" At the time, it was very iffy's the word, right? It was bare knuckles. The rules were different everywhere. This was before we got uh, regulated. Um, and so we started, they just talked me into it. We started doing that. We started traveling all over the country and the world. I thought maybe, you know, it might work out. Maybe not. We'll go back to what I really care about, which is the martial arts. Uh, but no, we started winning everything. And here I am 27 years later. So nearly three decades. It's almost been 30 years I've been training fighters. Yeah. Over the years, you and Mike uh, Winklejohn have created a world-class gym in Albuquerque that has trained the likes of Bones Jones, mm -hmm. um, Holly Holm, and Rashid Evans. What is it about the gym that makes it so successful and different? That's a very complicated question. I think that um, at its heart, what is a, a martial arts instructor it's, it's, or a coach like me? Um, it's a problem solver. So I think that we're, we're very effective at solving problems. So the problem can be, how do you beat this opponent? The problem can be, how do I set up a structure wherein we can ensure success of our fighters? So you have to have a structural kind of uh, base that allows you to solve the problems of combat sports. So that's, that's the big one. Um, and part of that is setting a good culture. Part of that is always innovating, always looking to how to do things better. Um, and part of it is the personalities of the, of the coaches and fighters around to, to kind of drive that model. So I, I think that it, it's, the success isn't just one thing, right? It's this, it's this kind of base that we've set with this culture that we've made. And then all of the good things that come from that just keep feeding into our success. And of course you train fighters and some of these fighters admittedly will say openly they're fighting demons their own. They have Absolutely. a lot of things. How do you as a coach try to refocus some of these fighters and think about their long-term goals and handle these demons. Well, one of the biggest challenges I have as a coach is guiding these people onto the path that's gonna be a positive path. And then, you know, they, some of them will get pulled off of that path. Sometimes they're too young for success and all of this comes at them and they make terrible decisions and you kind of have to try to build them back up and say, listen, when you're young, you can do some crazy stuff, but you've got to come back to this positive path. So a good, a good portion of my career is trying to get people to stay out of trouble and stay kind of on this positive moving forward path so that not only their life is positive, but the gym life is positive as well, right? Because you don't want to be the jerk in the gym that nobody wants to train with, nobody wants to hang around with, um, and getting onto those, that negative kind of train, that negative pathway can do that to you. So uh, yeah, a good portion is um, these guys have, a, and these gals have a lot of issues sometimes. They, they work really hard to stay on the straight and narrow, but it's not easy for them. And so to help them stay on that path is one of the, one of the things that I enjoy the most. And I think of uh, Bones Jones, of course, he, you look at him, he's one of the pound for pound, one of the best ever. 
um, how is it? How can you grab his personality and say, "Look, we, we, you, you can even you can do even more," and you've got young kids looking at you. Right, exactly. With John, you know, just keeping in mind that, you know, he, he had a lot of success really young and uh, he didn't make the best decisions at that time. But seeing how he's developing now, how he's really trying to stay on the straight and narrow um, and how he's trying to push his career into that next level as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very proud of that. I'm, I, I wish that he would have made different decisions earlier on, but I'm proud to see him come out of that. And I think we're, you know, it, it's I think it's easy to judge for a lot of people. But uh, those of us that have, you know, the demons or the problems and, and you make it out of that and you turn that negative around and make it a positive, I think that's super important. So to watch him do that, I'm very proud of it. Now, in recent months, you've shown some interest outside of MMA uh, in promoting New Mexico, especially when you go abroad. Uh, what is it about this initiative that has, has hit your core? Well, the New Mexico experience is something that I started. And what it is, is basically it's a uh, methodology to promote local businesses. I'm, I'm local, I mean all throughout the state of New mm -hmm. Mexico. So because I have access to all of this international media, I hang out with celebrities sometimes. I don't know why they want to hang out with me, but they do sometimes. And I have access to all these resources kind of around the world. I wanted to do something positive for our state. I feel like our economy is not where it should be. And uh, I, I wanted to start doing my part to push it to a better place. Um, I don't know why Arizona, Colorado, and Texas have these great economies and we're not in that mix, right? Like New Mexico is way better than all those places. So just seeing those problems and saying, well, listen, how can I help out? How can I do something to, to, to maybe help guide our economy that way? So I take local businesses, um, and then I just promote them wherever I am. I'll talk to the international media. I'll talk to anybody that I can on a, on a kind of a grand scale and try to get, you know, just, just show people New Mexico's great. Tell people, hey, take your vacations here. Come spend your money. Come check it out because you'll get hooked. And then hopefully we get a lot of, you know, great educated professional people. They want to move here because New Mexico gets in your blood. The sky's the limit. So I, I'm really an optimist with it and I really want to help my state um, this is my home, this is where I live, and I want to help it out. And so I think this is one methodology that I can do to do that. And why did you stay in New Mexico? I love it here. You know, when Albuquerque and when New Mexico gets in your blood, it never leaves. Um, and I love it here. It's my home. It's the most beautiful place on the, we have better sunsets. The people are so interesting. We have uh, the culture here and all the different, we have Native American, we have Anglo, we have Hispanic. Um, we have so many different cultures all really melting together. You know what I mean? We're not segregated, we're all in it together. Uh, you have so many traditions from so many parts of the world here. It's a fascinating place to be. And it's so interesting and so exciting all the time. Uh, that you love it. And man, I've got mountains right here. I can go into a river if I want. I can go swimming. I can go, this state has it all from the beautiful, beautiful forests all the way down south to these barren deserts that are gorgeous. Um, I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Now, after some of the, uh, the events that you've held overseas, I've seen on social media, there's some buzz around you um, saying that, that possibly Greg could do something else besides MMA. Do you have any interest in a public service or a political office? I do. You know, right now I'm trying to assess, I'm looking at what political office I would like to go for. I'm trying to assess where would my skill set make the most sense, right? So what I do is um, I, I, I kind of come with a set of skills. Um, a, on the education side, I'm an educator, right? I'm a coach. I teach people. Not only do I teach martial artists, but I also teach law enforcement, federal law enforcement, state law enforcement, local law enforcement, and not just in New Mexico, but primarily in New Mexico. Um, so I... I teach constantly. I teach mindfulness classes. I teach martial arts classes, um, defensive tactics, uh, how to 
kind of bring the violence out of defensive tactics. So you teaching police officers to control people more instead of striking them and hitting them um, on, on our use of force uh, kind of force array where, of course, we're talking to people first, but if you have to go hands-on, you wanna minimize the trauma. So how do you take the violence out of defensive tactics? That kind of stuff, um, that's part of my expertise, right? I, I really work with public safety. Um, I'm a business owner. I have a business in downtown Albuquerque. I have a business in the international district in places that other people might think, well, that's a little too challenging. So I have businesses there. So I'm a businessman too. So I can kind of use that, that, uh, that uh, knowledge um, with the education, with the public safety, with the, with the business stuff. I'd like to see where I can take that, those problem solving abilities and plug them into uh, to help the city of Albuquerque, the state of New Mexico, where is it going to be relevant? Where can I give back? Um, I was raised by Quakers, of all things, if you can believe that. And uh, my parents were both into public service. My dad uh, ran Disability Rights New Mexico forever. Um, so they really instilled into me this idea that happiness comes from helping people. Like that's how you make yourself happy. Um, it's, it was a very kind of a, a Quaker philosophy and it rubbed off on me a lot. And so I think that I'm just kind of coming full circle now trying to give back to the community. When you look at events around our country and the status of the state, what bothers you? What, what really keeps you up at night? Well, I think there's a lot that bothers me. Um, I'm really concerned about our crime rate. Uh, I, I'm concerned uh, that um, uh, you, you can't have a good economy if people don't feel safe here. So I, I would like us all to make more money. I would like to have people move to New Mexico. I would like to not be considered the donut hole, right, of, of Texas, Colorado, and Arizona. I would like us to be someplace that people want to come and move to. So um, the crime rate, the education, I'd really, like, I value education so much. Not only was I raised in the South Valley, so I really saw this is the education's the ticket out of here, right? Like that really is. Um, it's a ticket to make the South Valley better. So it really gives you all of these uh, amazing opportunities. But also if you're a police officer and you don't have the right education, you can't make the right decisions. And that's how life is too. Um, so education is huge to me. Like I really want to push that. Um, and so if you have good education and you have public, you know, kind of it's a safe place to be, your economy is going to grow. Obviously, you have to have good initiatives and stuff that uh, that we do on the business side as well. But having that that those three points, I think, uh, really can. I see that's where we're lacking. You know what I mean? Like, so those are the three real things that I'm like, man, I'd like to the governor's education initiative. I think that's amazing. Isn't that cool? Everybody gets to go to college for free. Like the stuff that she's doing, I'm a huge fan of. I, I endorsed her for her candidacy and now she's knocking it out of the park. I really like that a lot. Um, those kind of things are the things that keep me up at night that make me say, ah, you know, I wish, I just wish it was safer here. I wish I didn't have to worry about locking my car all the time. You know what I mean? Like that. And obviously you still have to, but that kind of thinking where, you know, I, I would like it to be safer. I would like our education to be a, a, a little bit better. Um, and I'd like our economy to just boom. I'd love to have more money than we know what to do with. What about poverty? Many of your fighters have been very upfront about them coming from um, poor backgrounds. How is, this state is one of the poorest. What, how about poverty? How would you address that? Well, I think poverty is what we're talking about, right? Because all of these causes or all of these things contribute to poverty. So I certainly grew up in the South Valley of Albuquerque, which again is, is one of the poorest places in the poorest cities. Uh, I'm sorry, in the poorest states. So uh, I, I grew up surrounded by poverty. Most of my fighters come from, not just in Albuquerque, but from around the world, poverty. Um, and, and I think that is the big 
kind of the big obstacle that a lot of us have. We don't have access to resources. We don't have a lot of opportunities because poverty is a weird thing. It like, it takes away so much from you. It takes away hope from you. It takes away so many things. So working to get ourselves out of poverty, using the, using those things, right? Making it a little safer. So our economy, everybody can win. Everybody can rise together. Um, making sure that we really put education in there. I, I think those are the tools that we're gonna need to fight out of it, but let, let's make no mistake. I mean, we are at the bottom of a lot of very bad lists in New Mexico. It's my home, I love it. And only I can say those things, right? If somebody else said them, I'd be like, hey, hold on. New Mexico is the greatest place in the world. And I believe it is. But to fight out of those, that poverty, I, I really feel like we need some actual tools with an actual plan, not just, well, let's throw this at it and see if it works. We need a step-by-step you should be able to articulate why you're doing each step of your plan from zero all the way to 100 to get us out of there. And of course you work on timelines and schedules with your fights. All the time. Do you have a timeline when you may decide what office to run for? I don't at the moment because again, I'm still in my gathering. I, I don't wanna rush things. I wanna do things correctly and smart and with purpose. I don't wanna just jump in and go, I'm gonna go do this. You know what I mean? I wanna make sure I take my time. Um, and I, ha I bring something to, to offer the position. So whatever position I decide to go for, I wanna make sure that I bring value. I don't wanna do it as a vanity project. I don't need a vanity project. I'm, I'm already well known in a small circle, so I don't need money and I don't really need fame. What I do need is to bring value back to the community. I need to, to do something to actually contribute. So my, my real goal is that, to try to contribute something back to the state that I love so much. Well, Greg, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Russ. Appreciate it. New Mexico has real problems with its suicide rate, with overdoses, big, big, big issues, certainly. A new study by the federal government says the state also has issues with, with its behavioral health system, particularly when it comes to lower income and rural patients, particularly. Now, most providers, the report says, can't meet state standards of being able to schedule an emergency session within 24 hours or a regular appointment within two weeks. And Michael, the numbers are not good here. You can't get a regular appointment in under three weeks to three months. I mean, it's just an unbelievable thing. What do people need to know about the system? You've been around this for a while, going back a couple of administrations. Is it worse than we even know? Is, is that what's going on here? Because it sounds like for rural folks, this is a real dead end here. Unless something absolutely drastic happens, what we're gonna talk about here in a second, nothing's gonna change. What, what's your sense of it? Why this is even happening? <laughs> well, part of the reason is we're in New Mexico, I guess. I hate yeah. to say that, but um, I mean, this is, not, this, is not, this is not a new issue and it's not an isolated issue. Mm -hmm. um, it's part and parcel of New Mexico's history uh, the poverty, mm -hmm. the um, sort of a colonial mentality in mm -hmm. some cases. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's many factors. Um, um, I, I don't. I may have mentioned that I actually worked for the behavioral health company that was created Value Options under the uh, under the Richardson administration, which was to create a comprehensive behavioral health system right. back in 2005 and came back home and headed up the Native American Region 6 office. Um, the, conceptually, it was a good idea, mm -hmm. and um, but I guess one of the questions I think somebody should ask is, that was an effort. We know what ha happened under Martinez, mm -hmm. which was, was just the worst 
thing mm -hmm. that could ever happen. But I, I, I guess one of the places I would start would be to look at what happened. Value Options had the contract for five years, lost the contract. Mm -hmm. It went to another company. And, and, then, and then I'm not sure what, where, where it all ended up. But the bottom line is New Mexico's a poor state. Right. It's, it's rural. Right. Um, and it has a, you know, the, the cultures which um, American Indian, rural reservations, mm -hmm. um, Hispanic and poor whites and everybody else is in the mix. Mm -hmm. um, I think until there's really one steps back and looks at at, at what's gone on in the past, I think that might be a key to understanding what it is we need to do in terms of developing an effective, comprehensive model and approach. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, I guess the, the thing that's really sad is that this is not new. Not at all. It, it, not it, at it's, all. it's like watching a bad movie. Right. It keeps right. replaying. That's right. Um, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying there are any e easy answers, but Part of the, one of the answers may begin to look at, it, it's really about creating, it, it is about healthy families, but it's healthy families and children within the context of healthy communities. Mm -hmm. Social determinants of health are part of that. Um, and I think also looking at the uh, people re recognizing that we may never ever have enough of providers. Ah. And, and one model that, that I was a part of this last year getting legislation passed was a dental health aid therapist legislation, which is training community-based people to provide some care in the community. Mm -hmm. They're from the community, they know the culture, language, traditions, and they may be more invested in the right. community and want to stay in the community. Right. And maybe, maybe instead of looking at models that come from other places, we need to develop our own sort of model. Good point there. Absolutely. Jeffrey, you know, the idea that while Michael was talking, it struck me listening that the numbers for our kids with suicide has, are, are not good. The latest report shows a rise that we've had over the past bit of time. Yeah, Something's clearly not working here. Yeah. What's your sense of what has to work? I appreciate yeah. Michael's point, it has to be folks from the community, but is um, it just dollars? Is it just will? What, what's missing here? Well, in terms here? of suicide, I think the rate went up 8% in one year, right. relatively recently. Right. But in terms of the actual physics of the problem, I think part of it is lack of broadband in communities, urban communities. Right. You know, telehealth care is a big uh, new technology that actually That's does right. work. You can actually Skype to a doctor, nurse practitioner. Uh, I have some property in Aragon, New Mexico, which is uh, the Gila. My neighbor tells us, and this is somewhat anecdotal, but I think it's a reflective of the problem. When he had an issue with a broken leg, he didn't see a doctor for three weeks. Think about that. <laughs> Further, Yikes. well, because the doctor was on vacation. Those are real issues that happen in rural communities. Wow. The second thing is there just is an absence of, of health providers in those industries. Right. So I think you have a combination of lack of people that actually can provide the delivery of behavioral health on yeah. the front line, yeah. and just absence of infrastructure, bad roads, uh, broadband, uh, but there was something encouraging recently that I read on this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, apprenticeship programs, I think uh, the Workforce Solutions Secretary thought if you can integrate some apprenticeship programs instead of a four-year college degree to support healthcare providers, right. maybe I can be an assistant nurse, an assistant, you know, a coder to that position. Right. So there is some encouragement there, and I will say, I, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but I will <laughs> applaud uh, Heinrich and, and some of the, the Democrats who have actually allocated a couple, three, four million dollars to this issue. Mm -hmm. I will applaud them for that, but mm -hmm. the other issue that people don't talk about within this context is lack of continuity of care. Mm -hmm. If I see merit in Aragon, New Mexico for an issue, I may not be the same doctor when I see her again. That's right. So that fluid, right. 
consistent continuity of care may right. be interrupted, yeah. which could jeopardize her convalescence. I'm mm -hmm. using Merida as an example. You know, as I hear Jeffrey, uh, Laura, I, I can't help but we've talked about this at this table so many times, it's incredible. And that one thing about broadband, it always comes up, it's even in the report that we're riffing off of here, it never seems to get any tra enough traction in the legislature. Do you know what I mean? It seems so simple and so easy, mm -hmm. but it's not, is it? <laughs> it's just a difficulty. No, how, do we, how do we shorten that gap there? I mean, I, I think there needs to be strong leadership on, on the issue. I think there needs to be a comprehensive approach. There's a lot of factors. Right. Broadband is a huge issue, and I've been at some of those committees where they discuss it. I think there is support among legislators, but mm -hmm. I think that we also have a very unique kind of legislature where there's time-sensitive issues, mm -hmm. um, and it, it's very difficult to get your issue out there when it's that that's right. That big yeah. to try to um, uh, put your arms around, but um, you know I will say that you know again it, we're we're a rural state, but I think these issues don't just happen in rural communities. Right. Even in the urban areas, I mean, and, and at the risk of oversharing, mm -hmm. I just tried to make an appointment um, with my behavioral health provider, Good. and it, it my next available appointment was October 29th. Right. You know, there it was like, go. that's crazy. That's it, right. You know, you're talking about five weeks, four weeks um, before you can get weeks. in to that's do right. stuff. And that's, you know, and that's somebody, obviously I can advocate for myself. I can do other things, but there's a lot of people who can't that's right. and aren't able to do that and don't have options, don't have other providers as yeah. part of their um, their network. Um, and it's, it's a very serious problem that I think that we have to figure out at some point. Um, mm -hmm. The suicide rate, we should all be completely appalled by. Um, it, it's not something that we should just you know, accept. Right. Uh, we have to do something about design, that. It's outrageous. It? It's something it bigger. It really is. It's, it's really unfortunate. I mentioned money earlier, uh, a second ago, uh, Merritt, about, let's put it in this context, the county. We've got the tax that's been in place here for mm -hmm. a little bit. It's, the kitty's starting to grow a little mm -hmm. bit. It's actually a pretty good amount of money. From your point of view, I, I, again, we're talking about rural versus urban, but just urban for a quick second. Mm -hmm. Enough money there? Are you sensing a possibility? Do we have because we have some options now, and to start talking about nineteen, twenty million dollars. So well, and the interesting mm -hmm. thing with that is nothing's been done. Right. And so that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, we bit the bullet. We paid some more taxes. We have a fund. Mm -hmm. Where's Where's the plan? And right. I think what everyone said here is a completely valid. We have a climate even here in Albuquerque, where healthcare professionals don't want to stay. Um, particularly in uh, places like uh, Silver City or Lovington. Also, just the, the education issues right. for them to raise a family. I mean, it, it, all, it all kind of sn uh, snowballs in this. Mm -hmm. And um, I do think one of the best uses for the funding in Bernalillo County or the funding that we're getting from HHS mm -hmm. would be a ground up what New Mexico needs right. program. Is there an opportunity? I hope so. I right. hope so because great minds can get leaders can sit down and. I, I really hope so because I think one of the most shocking things to me in the last ten years in behavioral health is, um, after um, various folks lost their license and some firms from Arizona were brought in, mm -hmm. they couldn't deliver because they said this is such a mess. We have to charge you so much more. There's no way we can deliver services under our contract because right. we're not even equipped to deal with this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That. That's something. Yeah, that says something. It is a money threshold, isn't it? Well, you know, I just mm -hmm. want to follow up on Please. Her mm -hmm. what was done in terms of, of the fact that the, the system here was dismantled was, I'd say, almost criminal. Mm -hmm. um, was criminal uh, because you turned all of these people out onto the street with okay. no Cutting access to care. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, that's just, I mean, so 
So we're almost like starting from scratch all over again. Right. I think the one thing I would like to say, though, that I think is it, treatment is critical and an important piece. Mm -hmm. um, and you end up with families that, that I mean, it, it's one of those gifts, it's a sad gift that it keeps on giving, where there's substance abuse, drug abuse, right. and, and family right. disintegration. That's right. So one other piece, the other pieces beyond, in addition to treatment, really has to be an investment in prevention. And, th and that ties in schools, and that ties in the churches, and that mm -hmm. ties in civil or civic organizations to really create an environment that, that, that is positive and supportive and encouraging of, of, of children, mothers, and families. Uh, because what we oftentimes see also is, is, is single mothers raising right. children on their own. That's right. Um, and so I think that prevention piece is really critical. Right. Touch on that, Jeffrey. That's a good point there. Well, I want to Are we willing to, to pay for those things, the prevention side? I want to come back to side. something Merritt said. Please. Uh, recently, I thought the county had a novel approach such that communities within uh, population sectors could themselves, from a bottom-up approach, apply for funds. Mm -hmm. Because think about this. Mm -hmm. If you're a community where I grew up in South Broadway, you had a different issue than maybe the Southeast mm -hmm. Heights. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's suicide in my area, maybe there's drug abuse there. Right. So I think this approach recently unveiled by the county, mm -hmm. such that instead of top-down, it's bottom-up, the communities know their own issues, right. and you can nuance those through applying for funding, yep. through a procurement process. I think that's a really a novel approach that speaks to the heart of, I think, what Michael talked about as well. Mm -hmm. Communities have their own distinctive um, cultural anthropological problems such. They should apply for uh, resources based on those issues. Glad you got that in. It is kind of innovative, isn't it? To Absolutely. help law folks to say, this is what we need in micro communities. That's, that's actually a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Going to take a moment to reset and refill our mugs over here. When we come back, we're talking about changes to balloon fiesta security this year. New Mexico in Focus is on Twitter and Facebook. Follow us online to get updates on upcoming shows and tell us what you think about the top news stories of the week. Then tune in because we may share your comments on the line. If you go to Balloon Fiesta, one of the biggest challenges is waking up so darn early to catch a mass ascension at sunrise. That's probably still the case, and in fact, you might have to set your alarm a little earlier because security at the park will be searching bags and running everyone through metal detectors this year. I was out at Balloon Fiesta Park this week, and here's how Alan Tatro, their security chief, explained the changes and their logistics. We developed a very good plan, a robust plan for all of our pedestrian gates where the majority of our people are coming onto the field because we want to keep our public as safe and, and harm-free as possible. Mm -hmm. So uh, all of our pedestrian gates will have uh, metal detectors, magnetrometers that are, that are walked through. You'll be prompted by one of our personnel to walk through the metal detector. Um, if you do not have any metal on you, such as a firearm, such as a large blade, right. then you will proceed right through the gate and go in and enjoy the venue. We allow bags, coolers, all that uh, type of personal carry type items. We'll also have an express lane so that if you do not have any bags or you do not have anything that is uh, large and bulky, even if you're carrying it in a small Ziploc bag uh, that, or a small see-through bag, uh, say your wallet, your ID, makeup, whatever you have, you can carry that in with you and you can take that right through the metal detector. So we are promoting uh, if you are taking large bags, right. large coolers, items into the Fiesta through the pedestrian gates, expect a wait. Gotcha. But in fact, if you are having small little stuff, uh, 
can zip right through the metal detectors. Let me let you know what's restricted to bring into the field. Please. So That's with that being said, um, firearms are not allowed on the field. Okay. Uh, whether it's concealed carry, whether you have your concealed carry permit or you do not, uh, New Mexico is an open carry state. So either way, firearms are not allowed on the field. Okay. Um, blades that exceed four inches blade length, right. not the handle, but the blade length exceeding four inches in blade length are not permitted as well. Okay. Um, and then of course there's the obvious uh, drugs, alcohol, mm -hmm. they're not permitted to be brought in through the gates. Right. Um, alcohol can be consumed on the field at different venues and different locations, but it's not to be brought in. You know, Jeffrey, it's obviously it's the obvious thing here is they're trying to keep people safe. Sure. No argument here. It's a seriously scary thing to think about something happening at our balloon fiesta. It would be a disaster. The public ready to accommodate that? Because again, all things have to be met halfway. Might be a bit of a hassle. Are people prepared to Absolutely. deal with I that? Absolutely. I think, you mm -hmm. know, think of what happened after 9-11 through airport security. I think we all right. recognize we have to go through some of that clumsy process, but right. it is for our own protection. But you know, for me, it's not just protecting people. You're also protecting an economic security here. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Think about what the balloon fiesta generates in a 10-day period. 174, $180 million. Mm -hmm. So we have to protect, obviously, people first, but we have to uh, protect the economics of it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm -hmm. In fact, the security people have recently interacted some best practices based on the Indy 500, which they use there, 300,000 people in a seven-hour period, mm -hmm. uh, Super Bowl, same thing kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really gratified to see some of these best practices being integrated to keep us safe, but also let's protect our economic interest to right. the tune of almost $200 million in a two-week period. I appreciate that point completely. Laura, did they go far enough, these measures? I mean, it's similar to what you see at the State Fair we just went through. Mm -hmm. They had metal detectors there. They have metal detectors at Isotopes Park. I mean, we know how this works, but does it go far enough? Because as Jeffrey mentioned, it's a big place and it's an awful lot of people out there. It is, and I think that, well, I think they're important measures that they have to um, incorporate now. I think yeah. we're living in a different time, and mm -hmm. I'm surprised that actually it took this long to incorporate that. Um, I think it's very timely. But you can't go to a major sporting event. You know, mm -hmm. I like baseball. I've been to a couple of baseball games this summer, mm -hmm. uh, Major League Baseball. And you can't go to a baseball game without walking through metal detectors and, and doing all of that. What's interesting is a lot of these um, major uh, baseball stadiums and football stadiums now use the same kinds of technology, <clears throat> the same process as airport security. So, for example, if you have clear, for those of you that we don't have it in, <clears throat> we, excuse me, we don't have it in Albuquerque Airport. Mm -hmm. But clear, you can sign up for in addition to pre-check. Mm -hmm. If you have clear, you can actually go through a faster line mm -hmm. um, at a sporting event as well. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, the technology is a way, and with clear, you use biometrics. Um, so it's you know scanning your fingerprints or your irises, um, which a lot of people might be freaked out about. But it's much faster. Right. Um, you know, I think this is just part of what the process is. And mm -hmm. in addition to those security measures, I think all of us are responsible for. If you see something, say something. Right. Everybody needs to make sure that we right. are you know, alert and paying attention to what's happening and mm -hmm. try to do what we can to um, prevent any kind of uh, a crisis situation. That's right. You know, Merritt, the folks, when I was out there, they say there's no threat, you know, they check with the you know, mm -hmm. authorities, but they also work with the FBI is gonna be out there, 
tribal police are going to be out there. They're going to have undercover folks out there. They're going to have it, it's really quite robust when you think about it. They've even got a detection system for drones out there. They've got a technology oh, out there. If you oh, launch wow. a drone, they'll be able to tell exactly where you're standing with the controller and exactly where the drone is. So they're taking no that. chances that's, out there. Wow, it's that's, that's that's fascinating. Well, mm -hmm. I'm really happy that this is um, coming before a, an unfortunate incident. That's that's the big thing. Is um, yeah, they could have done it sooner, sure. sure. But there's nothing worse than waiting for an incident to happen before taking action. Mm -hmm. um, I'll give an example. Um, uh, a lot of my employees were um, in the, on the scene of a mass shooting at the Washington Navy Yard in 2013. Mm -hmm. In 2019, finally, there's a metal detector in the building. And the metal detector is not manned full-time by security. And so what happens is one of the clerical uh, folks checking IDs will come in and turn it on and have you go through it. And when you said, I mean. Wow. And so <laughs> I just feel for my employees who've worked there for six years after, you know, how, how does, what, what trauma are you going through with that? So I th um, I th I'm all for it. I would suggest that the next um, New Mexico location that look at something like this would be the Roundhouse. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really surprising. That that, yeah. No, that's something that that's something like always that. yeah. worried me. I mean, one thing, it's awesome that you walk in and you hug your way through security. I mean, mm -hmm. that's cool. <laughs> but, you know, you can go through a metal detector and then hug security. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> I don't think anybody would complain, you know, right. honestly. Uh, Michael, the idea, they've got another system out there where you can get a, a bracelet for your children to track them because apparently, as the guys told me the other day, it happens quite often that families <laughs> get separated. I had no idea that so many families get separated out there. And so that's been an issue. And so they've got a way to deal with that too. But you see what I mean? Every little layer, they're not taking any chances out there. Does that give you more comfort? If you were gonna go, does that feel better with your kids, with, with anybody? I'll tag family? myself. You tag yourself, right? I get lost. <laughs> um, I, I just think, you know, again, given the times we live in, yeah. and you know, I don't need to reflect on El Paso, what happened there, but, mm -hmm. but these are the times we live in, and prevention is essential and key to all of this. Right. And, and anything you can do to, pr to pr prevent, um, um, you know, uh, some, some negative event right. occurring is what, that, I mean, it's the order of the day. I mean, if, if I mentioned the halfway thing, uh, sticking with you on this. We can certainly get there on the clear bag thing, right? I mean, we can, oh, yeah. we can cooperate with that, I would think, as a populace. We can meet these guys halfway. Yeah. But people being people, not everyone hears about these things before they show up. You know what I mean? So there could be a bit of a well, yes, problem I mean, that first weekend. It but I think, that, yeah, no, people, I mean, yeah, yeah people are going to grumble about this or grumble about that. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, um, when you think about the potential negative consequences, you know, right. I think that most people are going to say right. this is important and That's necessary. Right. Jeffrey, I have to ask, uh, Mr. Tatro, as you heard, uh, mentioned no weapons, no firearms. Uh, it's, even though we are an open carry state, you're not going to be able to do it on balloon fiesta grounds. They're not going to check your weapon. You won't be able to pick it up with a little, you know, tag. Right. You have to bring it back to your car. They're going to confiscate knives that go over that four-inch threshold, and they're going to throw them away. They're not going to hold them for you. <laughs> so, so again, not everyone's going to get that message. I can see some interesting conversations happening at the gate at some point. I just but think it's common sense mm -hmm. given the 
the, the context in which we live. I mean, mm -hmm. who's going to bring a, you know, a, a firearm to a public venue like that? I just think it's common sense. You but there are folks out there like a good guy with a gun could be part of the solution, right? It's not common sense. But to your point, they're going to confiscate your gun. You probably won't get it returned. So don't bring guns, okay? I mean, don't bring knives. I mean, it's common sense. But again, I applaud what they've done to be as preemptive as possible. There's also going to be that component of these what they call zebras, so a visual deterrent amongst the crowd themselves. So I really applaud what the Bloom Fiesta folks have done, that leadership to do almost everything humanly possible to circumvent you know this kind of a disgusting event. So at any rate, Again, a tip would be don't bring a lot of ancillaries. Right. You know, bring, bring yourself in austerity as much as possible, right. and you'll get in through those lines expeditiously. Right. It doesn't take away from the fun. No, uh, no I don't you're think there, so. Once you there, you know, right. You, you, I mean, at least there's hopefully a sense of safe of safety, and right. people are you know able to have a good time. Right. It's just going to take longer to get through, and so I think people right. need to pack their patience for sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Let me go back to the clear bag thing again. Um, that is becoming a, a fact of life. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned that you know we've got these protocols everywhere else. The clear bag thing is now very common. Should we just mm -hmm. go out and just yeah. borrow gallon bags and clear bags and just get used I, to it? I think in the so. Cupboard, I you know? mean, right. you know, my husband and I uh, appreciate football. I'm a Bears fan. He's a Dolphins fan. When we've gone, we each have our you know mm. um, NFL specific bags with right. our um, you know <laughs> our team emblems yeah, on them, and exactly. that's what we use when we go into sporting events. It's right. become very common, and people should just. Um, invest in that or be willing to wait in line to be searched. Right, That's exactly right. Your sense of that again, it, it, you know, meeting people halfway. These folks have put it out there. It's not as if they're springing this on the public on day one. We're getting warning here. Well, so. well exactly that. And also, you know, there is like a whole process to getting to Balloon Fiesta for launch. There's deciding where to park, do I take a shuttle, there's traffic. I mean, so does an extra five, mm -hmm. ten minutes really make that that big a difference? Right. I don't think so because people, it's it's a once, only in, right. only place on the globe event. That's, That's right. why everyone comes here. That's so right. obviously um, it needs uh, needs to be safe. And I think, I certainly think residents are gonna uh, uh, applaud right. that, that it's safe and not mind a few extra minutes because it takes it's just some logistics That's right. That's getting right. to Balloon Fiesta. That's right, That's right. I have to ask this though. I do have to ask this, th throw this on the table. They didn't mention this yesterday, Mr. Tatro, but I have to imagine that part of the process right now for a lot of these bigger events is facial recognition technology. Mm -hmm. This is becoming part of our reality here. Are you all comfortable if, say, like next year they announce we're going to do facial recognition no. technology? No? That's an instant <laughs> no. no. Why? Um, I'm, I'm far too uncomfortable with uh, private entities, much less police units being able to um, track my movements um, because as we kind of mentioned in an earlier segment, uh, we're all really lucky to, to live here and we're proud of our uh, country's stance on liberty and freedom. Mm -hmm. And this might undermine that. that. Okay. Okay. Is there a good enough safety issue I, for I'm you to... I'm not comfortable have, with being okay. surveilled all the time, but the fact is we are. Walk into a bank, walk into a, a, an arena, a sports arena, any of those places. Right. You're being surveilled all the time, whether right. we know it or not. It's like reading 1984 all over again, except it's actually that on steroids. So That's I'm right. not comfortable with it, Okay. but let's not be naive. We're being surveilled all the time when we enter particularly uh, public, uh, public buildings. Your sense of that one, Laura? I'm curious. What do you think? From a civil liberties point of view, what's, well, what's your sense of it? I, I tend to agree to a certain extent with um, with what Jeffrey's saying. I do think that we 
live in a world where you know algorithms can predict all kinds of things and so everything that we do you know I work now in the financial services sector and uh, I actually had fraud I travel so much I had fraud on my credit card um, it's amazing how quickly they can tell even though I had some unusual activity mm -hmm. um, and I had been traveling multiple places they could they pinpointed exactly what the fraudulent I um, what the fraudulent transaction was yeah. um, and then I I was in Los Angeles last weekend and uh, went through security and for the first time ever the TSA people at PreCheck did not look at my um, ticket. Huh. They only took my um, ID and ran it through mm -hmm. and from yeah, that I could see. tell where I was going when I had come in. I mean it was like amazing. Wow. I think we're already there. Sure. Um, the facial recognition portion of it. I think if you opt in like with clear that's mm -hmm. different like right. your biometrics mm -hmm. you're doing it for convenience it's a secure sort of process but there is a you know private entity that now has your information. That's right. Um, right, so right. I think that makes people nervous. And it's proven to be a little bit flawed too. So far, sure. facial recognition doesn't always get the right face in the right <laughs> place. So we're out of time this week. Thanks to you four, of course, for digging into much varied news this time around. We'll see you again. Thanks again for joining us and for staying informed and engaged. We'll see you again next week in Focus. Funding for New Mexico and Focus provided by the McCune Charitable Foundation and viewers like you.